welcome back to Making Sense of Money. I'm Nikki Jankola Shanks. We hope everyone had a safe and happy holiday season and that 2021 is off to a great start. And obviously, I'm Andrea Pellegrini. Uh, as discussed on our last episode, we hope that you took some time to get some financial goals established for this new year, and we'll check in later in the year and see how things went and what needs to be adjusted. Um, Jake is unfortunately out today sick, so we send him our best wishes on getting better. But um, today we'll be discussing K through 12 financial education. We'll talk about where we are as a country in regards to this important topic. And we'll explore some available resources that teachers, kids, and parents can use. You know, a lot of you guys listening may have kids um, who are remote learning and are looking for some activities. So hopefully we'll be able to provide some for you. We also have a special guest on today, Tracy Frizzell. Tracy is the executive director of the Economic Awareness Council here in Illinois. So Tracy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us an overview of the council? Sure, thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here today. Um, I myself am a product of the uh, university system in Illinois. So I got my master's in applied um, child and family studies at Northern and got my bachelor's um, in the same discipline at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, I have worked in youth development and financial education for over 20 years. And the council has been around uh, since 2003, it was founded by a number of financial and education professionals who were concerned about the state of financial literacy in our country. And our programming has grown very rapidly over the last over 15 years. We serve in a typical year around 25,000 youth in terms of our total attendance at programs. We also serve you throughout the state of Illinois in addition to in the Chicago area. And we serve youth in about six states through online financial capability programs that we offer. I don't know if you knew this, but Tracy trained me like my first month as a grad student with the Student Money Management Center. I did not know that. It was, so Tracy and I go back, way back. <laughs> So you can add that to Tracy's list of accomplishments helping to train Andrea Pellegrini. Um, so we're excited to have Tracy here because she's obviously an expert and um, the Economic Awareness Council does great work. So it sh she's going to dig into a little bit more of her programs later on in the, ep uh, in the episode. Um, so first, Tracy, can you, when we talk about financial education or being financial literate, what types of topics and knowledge are we talking about? Our focus as an organization in terms of financial literacy is on very applied topics, things that everyone needs to know to be stable financially. And we focus on teaching youth about those topics at times of transition uh, for them. So examples of this are thinking about when a youth might be getting their first job, uh, when a student's starting high school, when a student is transitioning um, to being a young adult, to going to college or starting in the workforce. Uh, for our youth in care, what uh, often people uh, refer to as foster youth, we think of when they transition um, from being in care to being independent. And these are 
really good times we've found through research, both uh, externally that other researchers have done, as well as results from our own programs. These are really good times to focus on financial capability for youth. And I'd encourage parents and teachers to think about tying in financial literacy to these transitions, because it really helps to get the youth's attention for the youth to think about how are they gonna use these skills that they're learning in the real world. Um, the title of our high school financial literacy curriculum is actually financial decisions, uh, get real financial decisions in the real world. And we very much focus with our youth on talking with them about this isn't gonna be a typical class. You're not gonna just learn information and memorize it and then take a quiz. We focus on for each of our topic areas on setting both financial literacy or knowledge-based goals for the youth, as well as behavioral objectives, things like creating a budget, checking your credit report, um, setting a financial goal, opening a bank account. So things youth are really doing in the real world. The topics that we focus on and we found to be really uh, a good, broad and um, very useful topics for um, youth are setting financial goals, budgeting, banking, managing your first paycheck, credit, saving and investing, identity protection and insurance. So that's kind of for our full curriculum. Um, those are the things that, that we focus on. Those topics align well with the financial capability standards that laid out by the Department of Treasury. So it's a nice Absolutely. transition into yeah. longer term things that they're gonna need to know about. And I really appreciate your just-in-time approach to providing financial education when it's gonna be most relevant to making decisions. Very good for behavioral change. Yeah, yeah, we found education. it makes a huge difference. Um, a lot of times the youth that we're sitting with, whether they be um, high school students or youth getting their first job, um, they're actually a point they're hungry for the information and they're like, oh my goodness, I have to manage my own money next year, or, oh my goodness, what, a, what is a paycheck? Like, how am I gonna receive these funds? Um, so they actually, um, it's a great place to be an educator because they actually want the information that you're providing. So, so it is a really effective approach. Very exciting. So um, when we think about financial literacy and what that means to our overall consumer society, we wanna look at some of the statistics that kind of give us some, a measure of how financial literacy can impact overall financial well-being. So the 2018 Federal Reserve Bank report um, that surveys Americans between 18 and 65 said that uh, as of 2018, 44% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 surprise expense without borrowing or selling something that they own. Um, and that number has changed over the years. It'll be interesting what it looks like the next time that you do it since the pandemic has really impacted a lot of people. 56% um, of Americans have less than $10,000 in their savings for retirement. And that's from a broad pool of age ranges. So that's pretty concerning considering how much you need to be able to retire. And just, um, just a plug for a future podcast, we are going to focus solely on retirement savings and the retirement savings crisis um, that is occurring in America. So make sure, um, listen for our future episodes. 
There's a lot of these statistics that will lead into future podcast episodes, <laughs> both that we have planned and I'm sure that we'll come up with as well. Um, according to Standard & Poor's latest report uh, in 2015 on financial literacy, America's rank 14th in terms of adults being financially literate. It's only about 57% of the population. Uh, the same report, the Standard & Poor report, stated that only 37% of American adults could answer basic questions on things like inflation and compound interest. Um, I know that there's been some additional research on the three, three question quiz that Anne-Maria Lusardi has typically used for measuring financial competence, that it is, um, it leans more towards people that are higher on the socioeconomic scale responding positively. So there is this socioeconomic status being a layer of financial literacy that we need to acknowledge in some of these statistics that we talk about. It's not just about financial literacy, it's sometimes where we are and what our economy looks like as well. And that makes it even more challenging, I think, for people like Tracy and I to address financial literacy in, in our programming and outreach. The Financial Educators Council conducted a study in 2019 that shows financial literacy costs the average American $1,279. So like I said, these statistics show not just the impact that the lack of financial literacy can have on consumers, but also kind of the state of the economy as well. So it'll look different in a couple of years, especially after this pandemic and how hard hit some of the you know, global citizenship has been affected by our, our economic strife. So Tracy, can you elaborate on what you're seeing in your work with America's financial literacy as a whole? Yes, and I want to start with laying out that our organization primarily works with youth that are in limited resource communities. So what we're seeing is even some of the extremes of some of the statistics that you mentioned. So um, of course, a lack of uh, long-term savings and retirement savings is, is a huge concern um, for the general population. Um, for the youth that we're serving, even having as, as one of the statistics you mentioned, even having that $400 for emergency savings um, usually is, is not there, not only for themselves, but in their family uh, that they're living with. Uh, so there's some really, really significant concerns we have about financial st stability for the youth that we're working with. And we see that access to high quality financial products is a concern as well in the communities that we serve. In the communities that we work in, primarily just starting with uh, Chicago, 21% of individuals are unbanked or underbanked. So maybe they have a bank account, um, but they're not using it fully. They use alternative financial services for a lot of transactions, which can be very expensive. Among minority youth, uh, uh, among Black uh, families in particular, 43% are unbanked or underbanked. Um, similar statistics for Hispanic families uh, in Illinois. Among lower income individuals, specifically in Chicago, it's 48% are unbanked or underbanked. So these are some really concerning statistics uh, that has been a huge focus for our organization 
in two ways. One, in terms of education and really empowering youth to know what to look for in a high quality bank account that's going to work for them, that's going to be easy to use, knowing how to use that account and to manage it well, and then to move on to other financial products like having a savings account or thinking about investing and things like that. Um, we also look at this though from the side of working with our financial institution partners. We've been very lucky in Chicago to have a number of financial institutions that have stepped up and said, we want to offer high quality, affordable, safe accounts for the families that you're serving. Um, we've done this for youth for uh, many years and have 16 different financial institution partners for that coalition. Um, we just took over leadership of Bank on Chicago and have 10 partners um, for that coalition. So with the families that we're serving, we saw the lack of financial literacy the lack of financial capability and having access and already having some of these products um, with COVID significantly because usually there was a very small amount of savings um, that you know got used very quickly. And then the families that we were serving, one big concern was if they were unbanked, if they had not filed taxes before, maybe they weren't of an income level to need to file taxes, Often they had difficulty accessing their stimulus check, might take longer for them to receive um, their payment. They might not have it direct deposited. They get a check, they have to pay check cashing fees. Um, there were a lot of hurdles that could literally make the difference for a family between you know, having that support that they um, are eligible for and deserve um, in need for things that are very basic like food and rent and, and things like that. So um, what was already a difficult situation with COVID became uh, a really a, a crisis uh, and something that we worked with a number of partner organizations um, to address, uh, formed the Get My Payment Illinois Coalition um, and have been working to spread the word uh, among families across the state about how to access your stimulus payment and how to use banking service as well um, to make sure that you don't have any additional fees. So um, those are a few of the things, especially this year, that we've seen about how a lack of financial capability can be really difficult for families. With this newest round of stimulus checks coming out, do you think that since you already did the scramble to try to teach a bunch of people how to access that information, it's going a little bit better? Or do you think that you'll have to scramble to produce more educational materials and outreach to help more families since we're in a worse situation? Really? We are obviously hoping that the work we did had an impact. Um, we had thousands and thousands of people using the website, using the hotline, and, and you can still get information about both round one and round two. Um, if you didn't get round one about, you know, requesting um, that with your, when you file taxes. Um, so you can get all of this information at getmypaymentil.org um, uh, still, and we did have thousands of people that were using these resources, but um, it's thousands of people out of, you know, such a larger population that the IRS was sending out letters because um, they, you know, noticed that um, individuals um, were not, you know, had not gotten their stimulus payments. So they sent letters um, about how to, to get that. Um, and we're really concerned that a lot of those um, families might not 
Um, did they even receive the letter? Um, were they able to, if you don't have internet access, it's much harder to, you know, um, use a lot of the systems that were set up and, and um, now um, things are different in terms of how you can receive the second payment, of course. Um, so there's still a lot of concern and um, uh, we're hoping maybe there'll be movements to make that easier. Um, but we think that we will still have to be really involved in advocacy and setting up supports, giving people instructions about what to do and where to go. Um, and a lot of that's in flux right now, honestly. So I would just re recommend go to getmypaymentil.org, um, check back there frequently for the latest updates on what you can do um, in the most specific instructions. And there's um, also uh, a hotline or like email um, support so you can, you know, get your questions answered. That's all really, really important information. Thank you, Tracy. Like, and I feel like Tracy just made this point perfectly that the lack of financial capability and financial literacy early definitely has these lifelong um, implications, which is why I know that there has been a push to incorporate more financial education within the K through 12 classroom. So that way, hopefully um, it could educate kids earlier and, and that kind of sticks with them. Um, so many groups such as Tracy's advocate for teaching these skills. And every two years, the Council for Economic Education releases a report on the economic and personal financial education in our nation's schools. It's known as the Survey of the States. And just some data from their latest 2020 report includes that 21 states, so a little less than half, require high school students to take one course in personal finance. Only six states have this as a standalone course. So that means that um, other states it's incorporated into another subject that could be social studies, it could be an economics class, depending on what type of classes um, the high school offers. 25 states require high school students to take a course in economics and 23 states require that as a standalone class. Um, and I, Tracy will probably, uh, will be able to talk about this too, but I just know, so in my previous life before um, I started working for the state, I was actually a middle school social studies teacher. And so, and I have my master's in curriculum and instruction and um, I was certified K through 12. So I, my experience has been that anything right now that's kind of being taught personal finance wise or is usually in, a, in an economics course or like a consumer ed course, just depending on the school district, um, at least here in Illinois. All 50 states have K through 12, K through 12 standards for economics and 45 of the standards require them to be implemented by the school district. Those of you who may not know, um, standards are what is used by the state um, to kind of tell the districts, hey, this is what we want you guys to be teaching. This is the important topics to hit for the year. Um, 45 states have K through 12 standard for personal finance and 37 states have standards required to be implemented by districts. So, the way that state standards work is that they're there, but sometimes certain standards are prioritized over others. 
certain ones are um, required. A lot of times that means tested within the school district. So knowing the big picture, where, where does that leave Illinois? So Illinois does have K through 12 standards in both economics and personal finance that are required to be implemented in school districts. In school districts. They were incorporated for the first time ever during the 2017 to 2018 school year. They are still considered very new. That was not that long ago. And then obviously this past school year with COVID is also making things more difficult. And the, the interesting part of this, which I'll get into a little bit later is these standards were created and they were incorporated, but particularly for the younger grades that didn't also automatically mean that there were resources available for teachers to teach the standards that actually align to the Illinois standards. So that 2017 to 2018 school year for some schools was really hard. Like they just didn't have the materials to actually teach. So it's still very new depending on um, where our listeners are living. They could be like, oh yeah, our kids get this. And other school districts are, or other parents are probably like, our kids have never come home talking about financial literacy. Another interesting thing is I think a lot of people assume that financial education is actually written into math standards and they are not. They are part of the social studies standards. Um, so the reason why that is significant is because they are required to be taught, but social studies is not mandated the same way as math, science, or English are. So you may have some kids, um, like I, I know I, I still have a lot of friends who are teachers because I was a teacher, right? <laughs> um, and I know that, you know, my elementary school kid, my elementary school teachers are saying, hey, like there's a lot, I'm trying to make sure my kids know how to read and write. And so to add, like they may only be getting social studies once or twice a week. So that's just something to keep in mind too. Um, if you are interested in the grade level standards, you could go to the Illinois State Board of Education's website and um, all the standards for every subject, not just these are there if you're ever curious. The, the standards do cover a lot of the topics that Tracy actually mentioned that her um, council teaches such as saving, budgeting, insurance, investing. So it, it is those really important financial skills that will help students for their whole lives. Um, so Tracy, in your experience, how do you see the, we know you're in schools a lot and working with these students. How do you see financial literacy being taught? Yeah, so at the lower grade levels, um, you're definitely, I, I've seen the same things, you know, that you mentioned in terms of financial literacy being incorporated into social studies primarily. Um, and, you know, this is a concern due to the demands of testing that you mentioned. Um, it, it can be difficult for teachers to prioritize, uh, especially if they have to find their own resources. Um, so some things that we've found um, that you people can encourage as well, or teachers can think about are, you know, incorporating financial literacy into other topic areas, kind of social studies and beyond. Uh, why not include a book? There are lots of great children's books. Um, we have a uh, activity book on our website um, that you can, you know, parents could go to and print out and it's got a book list in the back of it. 
Um, there are a lot of great children's books that have financial themes. Um, why not include those as some of the books that are read in the classroom? Um, some even have some math activities built within the book, um, but why not include some financial examples? Uh, in a lot of math areas, uh, including a financial example might make math more relevant and interesting and applicable to students' daily lives um, and really get their attention. So um, in addition to advocating for the importance of all of the discipline areas um, within the school system, um, doing some of that uh, incorporation in different disciplines can be really helpful. Um, we even have a partnership with Museum of Science and Industry, um, and we share um, activities through the partner schools uh, that work with the museums. So uh, it's, I think, really meaningful for youth when they see how things come together from different knowledge areas um, and make a big impact. So that's the lower grade um, levels. Um, at the upper grade levels, the high school level, um, we do see obviously economics, consumer economics. A lot of the schools that we work with it, uh, have an additional class though that's called senior seminar. Um, something we've actually found is super helpful for the students at those schools, particularly because uh, at the schools that we're working at, there's a very high percentage of first-generation college students at the schools. Um, so having a class that helps go over preparation for some of the standardized tests, helps go over the application process to college. And we've been very excited. One uh, thing that we've seen is within that class, uh, teachers have incorporated financial literacy. Um, we know that one of the main reasons for college dropout is financial pressure and not being able to manage your funds um, when you're at college. So incorporating something about how do you make a budget for college, make sure you can um, you know, pay your bills and your tuition gets paid and um, you have money to live and things like that makes a lot of sense. Um, we find the fit within that class also is great because in that class, youth are really starting to think about, okay, next year, what am I going to do? Like, I am really going to be an adult next year. Um, and so it's a really good fit um, to include within that course. Um, also at the high school level, though, we do have some instances where we found difficulty with the pressures that you mentioned related to testing. Teachers have come to us and said, we really want to incorporate this material. We want to incorporate these activities or we want to spend more time on them, um, but we can't because we have these other demands um, that are usually related to testing. So I think that's something that um, as a society, as a state, we really need to think about because these are very critical skills um, for youth to be developing um, while they're they're in school. I can I'm really appreciating absorbing all the insight from you both because I work more in a not K through 12. I've I've worked with high school students a little bit, but not very much. But once they get to me, they're in college and things are real. And some of them, especially freshmen, are like, I already know everything right? They know everything because they learned it in high school. Some of them did. I'll, it'll be interesting uh, in the next few years how many more people are saying, oh yeah, this seems familiar when I do orientations or that kind of outreach. Because um, sometimes they don't, they forget they ever had any formal education in personal finance, but having that little background knowledge can help me teach them, okay, let's take that background knowledge you have and turn it into an action because we know that 
finances pretty much impact every part of your life. So it, <laughs> it should have more priority, at least in our society for teaching quality skills. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the one thing that I didn't have a chance to say was uh, we have seen a positive impact where school systems have really prioritized this topic. So um, over the last few years, uh, CPS has spent a lot of time um, and had a really robust committee focused on financial literacy um, and actually instituted new um, standards within the school district itself that were focused on the amount of time that youth have to spend um, focused on these subjects. So there's a lot of flex flexibility um, about what class it's in or where it's taught, um, but every youth um, within CPS now um, is required to spend time focusing on these topics. And um, I think that's a really good thing, especially because the thing, the one area that they did spell out um, was that the financial literacy topics that are addressed have to be very practical and applied. They have to be some of these areas where we're really concerned that a lack of knowledge or skills are going to have very negative impacts on uh, the youth's lives um, really soon post high school graduation. So we've seen a positive impact there. We've also worked with some charter schools, um, Noble Network, um, charter schools is one of um, them, where teachers have, have noticed their students struggling after graduation in this topic area and really made a priority um, to address it within their schools as well. Um, so when there's that uh, cooperative effort across a, a school system, um, it, it can have a really great impact on the youth, so. And that's one thing I, I will point out too, is just that like, a lot of this is gonna vary just like everything related to schools, district by district. Uh, and what your district may be focusing on, what they may need to focus on. Um, it could be too, like Tracy mentioned, the high stakes testing and things like that. A lot of that sometimes tied to funding. So if you have a school district that has to focus on testing in order to get federal funding, things like that, all of that in your individual school district is gonna play a role on what you can focus on and how much time a teacher can spend on something. So that's for parents who are out there who may be listening and is like, my kid never got this. I want my kid to get this. Like, I encourage you to go talk to the school board and in a nice way <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to say like, because there, there are a lot, it's not as simple as saying, well, this is a standard it should be taught. Yeah, in a perfect world, that is 100% correct. But that's just not always how it works in education because there are these other so many priorities that are placed on teachers and they only have so much time in a day. So, you know, it may be something that I know in my past work, we've talked about doing after school, you know, like you could do after school enrichment or before school enrichment, depending on what type of, um, you know, flexibility your school district has. There's the stock market game. I know some school, excuse me, some school districts are running that as like an after-school team, not necessarily part as in the classroom, but encouraging kids to get involved that way. So there are a lot, if, if, if the teachers are in that district, do you have other priorities that they have to get to? There are other ways that 
I think financial education can be incorporated within the school day, just not um, necessarily a standalone class or spending so many classroom minutes on it. You know, it could even be, I know in middle school for us, it was, we would, every day we had something called advisory, which was like social emotional learning and like kind of more free flowing for those kids. That's an example where you could incorporate 10 minutes, you know, of, hey, this is what a budget is type of thing. Uh, so there are a lot of creative ways that I think school districts can, in, can incorporate this um, while understanding that a lot of them have pressures and priorities that they, they have to get to. Well, and I think that it's important to recognize that when adults are surveyed, even adults on who they go to for financial advice, they go to their parents. They don't go to their teacher from middle school. Um, so what resources do exist for both teachers that need to, to teach these standards and want to teach these standards, as well as parents that want to help reinforce some of these concepts? Sure, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I would definitely encourage folks to go to our website, um, econcouncil.org. You can find most of our resources there. Um, we have both a page that has all of the content in a digital format for the Get Real curriculum that we do at the high school level. Um, so a parent could certainly take that and any chapter topics um, on certain skill areas like credit or banking or whatnot um, that they wanna go through with, with their youth, um, they certainly could. We even put the answer key up there for teachers, don't tell our students. Um, so anyways, but a parent, that would be very valuable for a parent so that they could have the answers there and go through with their youth. The other thing that we have is a resource page on our website that has a lot of our other additional activities, including uh, the activity book that I mentioned for younger students, which has a book list. So for the younger grade students, I would really encourage checking out that on the resource list. We even have some of our pamphlets that we have put together for parents. Uh, we work with Catholic Charities uh, WIC centers and we have financial education information that we share with them every year during Money Smart Week. So that information is also available um, on our website, on our resource page. So I'd definitely check that out. We also when have is Money Smart Week? I'm sorry, when is Money Smart Week yes. this year? Yeah, so it is April. I just got an email about this yesterday. I'm so sorry. I think it was April 11th. It's like the third week of April. I think it's 11th or the 18th. I think it's 11th or the 18th, right? Like they changed that, right? it the past couple of years. It changes, it changes every year, so it's hard to keep track of, but I think it's the 11th through the 18th, and there'll be a number of online, you know, activities and things like that that you can check out as well for Money Smart Week. Um, but yeah, so those resources are on the website as well. We also have a number of videos on our websites that you can check out with your youth. And right now we have a number of our online games and activities, which are pretty standalone. Um, you can find those that we put together for the One Summer Chicago program currently at lrng-osc.org. And uh, we'll be updating, if that URL changes, we'll be updating it on our website so that it'll be easy to find. The other resource that I wanna mention is actually our internship program. So we host an internship program in partnership with DePaul University. 
And a lot of the teens or tweens might find um, this resource uh, interesting because it's written by other students. So um, CPS students, because this internship is um, within the city um, and we do partner with the city of Chicago and CPS in uh, Chicago Public Libraries as well for this. Um, city students in the city can apply to be part of the internship program. Um, they meet uh, either monthly or weekly, depending on if they're in the beginning or advanced program. And what they do is they write and publish articles on financial literacy topics, business topics, economic entrepreneurship topics, and then produce a magazine. So you can find that magazine at onthemoneymagazine.org or just this spring because of COVID, our youth interns came together and said they wanted to make a more user-friendly online version of the magazine so that you can search on certain topics or you could search on a particular student uh, journalist and check out all of their articles. So you can find that more online user-friendly version at otmonline.org. So um, those are some great things to check out. Again, um, in terms of interdisciplinary approaches, um, teachers can also use those resources. There's some activities at the back of each uh, magazine, um, but you know, teachers could assign uh, students to read part of the uh, articles and then write about them. Another way to incorporate this, whether it's social studies, consumer act, or an English class, um, you can include uh, some financial literacy. So those are some good resources for uh, youth and for parents. Um, one other one I'll just mention for parents as well, uh, definitely check out uh, Bank on Chicago um, and uh, our Bank on Chicago website. Um, you'll find great resources uh, and events and accounts um, there as well for parents. And I'll just jump in here to say before I was at um, listeners know I, I currently work at the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. Previously, I was the Director of Financial Education at the Illinois Treasurer's Office, which is where I met Tracy for the first time. <laughs> um, and our biggest project that uh, we worked on was actually creating curriculum that is free for all teachers um, and parents. If, you know, anybody who wants to use the curriculum is there, but we created it. It's free. It's all online at moneymindedillinois.com. And it is completely aligned to the Illinois state standards. So as I, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes when these brand new standards come out, it's like, here's these new standards. And then there are like no resources for teachers to actually easily implement new standards. Um, so we kind of wanted to try to solve that problem. So it's completely aligned from first, the financial literacy um, standards actually start in first grade, not kindergarten. So it's from first grade through middle school is what the curriculum uh, concentrates on. And that's because through our research and working with other partners, we found the feedback we got was that a lot of the high school teachers, because this was in, you know, it was being incorporated in a lot of the economics classes or consumer ed classes. They had the resources, they knew, but like some of these, like a second grade teacher was like, how am I supposed to, I don't have anything to teach this. So we, that's where we concentrated on. Not only do we concentrate on just the financial literacy standards, but there, there are critical thinking standards um, that also are at play for the first time in the the standards. So we 
all of our standards are aligned for financial literacy, but also aligned to meet those kind of critical thinking um, standards as well. So that way they can kind of former teacher. The podcast listeners can't hear me, but I'm clapping. (laughs) I didn't figure that was good audio, but I'm super excited about these standards and aligning with critical thinking because when you have to advocate for yourself in real life, when it comes to finances, you need to have critical thinking skills. Yeah. I think there, the, the term in the standards is inquiry thinking, but it's basically critical thinking. Um, So the resources, if you go to that website, it's broken out by grade level. Um, So there's web pages for first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And then there's a big one for middle school because that's how the standards are written. The standards for middle school are actually just middle, it's six through eight. And that's because districts can kind of decide for themselves where they're going to teach what and what grade level once they get to middle school. Um, And so we incorporate those inquiry skills. We also incorporate a lot of interdisciplinary subjects, as Tracy mentioned, to try to make it a little bit easier for teachers to like maybe throw something in. (laughs) Um, So we have a lot of nonfiction reading um, pieces that are already written and are on there um, for teachers they could print out or send them the link uh, to read. And uh, there is some some math as well that's incorporated when we talk about things like interest and savings. Um, so I'm pretty proud of it. I suggest you t- <laughs> you check it out. Um, but it are- no, was a great resource. We shared that with all of, as you know, uh, we shared it with all of our my, Museum of Science and Industry uh, partner schools um, in CPS with all of their teachers last year as an addition to um, the field trip, which turned into a field trip kit um, with COVID. Um, but we were able to share it and they really appreciated that. So. That's great. And, and um, because I was a former teacher, I tried to make it very easy for teacher, my fellow teachers out there to like follow and like implement because as we discussed, a lot of these teachers don't have time to necessarily implement these things. Um, when I was going around to different school districts to talk to them about their curriculum, I actually said, I was like, look, sometimes teachers need a really easy sub plan. And this, some of these lessons can be a one day standalone sub plan for teachers to be like, great. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's the money-minded curriculum. The other program that I wanna talk about, although I'm gonna be honest, because of COVID, I think that this is currently stopped, but um, hopefully it'll come back because it was really popular. It was called Money-Minded Storytime. And Tracy mentioned about how there are different books and picture books and things like that. This was actually a program that was focused for even younger, like this is like three, four, five-year-olds for story time at libraries. And um, the treasurer office, the treasurer's civic engagement team, which does all their outreach, um, would book different story times at libraries. And then they would go into a library and um, read one or two picture books that tied to a concept about money. And then they would do like a short little activity with these kids. And then they were also given a take-home packet to then kind of hopefully continue the conversation at home. 
And that was a very popular program, particularly actually for Illinois. Like it was really popular down south. They had a ton of different um, libraries reaching out that wanted this program. So I know with COVID, everything is not up and running, but I anticipate that it probably will be once, once it's safe to do so. I know pre-COVID, there were a lot of reading programs in the central Illinois area, and some of them would even in, invite dogs, like the children would read to the dogs. So it's fun to see, um, we do some similar story times um, and work with both after school programs. I know something you mentioned, um, it's working with after school programs, but also work with pre-K programs, um, both through the WIC centers and um, at some suburban nonprofits and libraries as well. Um, but it's amazing to see what the younger youth can learn. Um, we have youth that go to a monthly story time. So it's similar to what you mentioned, but it's, it's every single month um, with a, a local nonprofit here, uh, Willowbrook Corner, which is part of um, the community house. And it's so neat to see the younger youth learning um, just to be comfortable with concepts related to banking um, and saving and learning just the most basic terms like they'll actually play act and have certain motions to songs that they do with us that are for deposit and withdrawal, uh, which is really cute and just great to see um, youth that might never have been to a bank otherwise get used to and familiar with um, knowing about our banking system, knowing about saving and um, being comfortable with some of the, you know, terms and the activities and what it means to put money in and take it out and, you know, how to balance those things. So um, there's a lot even younger kids can learn. I know that you've mentioned a whole bunch of your programs that you work on with the council. Are there any other programs that you haven't mentioned that you want to talk about? Yeah, so just to go uh, a little more in depth to the few, with a few of the programs that are uh, really core to what we do. Um, we talked a lot already about the internship program, but that grows as our interns um, reach uh, high school graduation. Um, they then are eligible to participate in our summer internship program, which is part of a summer jobs program in Chicago called One Summer Chicago. Um, and if anybody's listening from the city of Chicago um, and has teenage youth uh, or young adult youth, it's ages 14 through 24, uh, and they're looking for work for the summer, please go to onesummerchicago.org. It's a wonderful opportunity. There are many different types of jobs that you can apply for. Um, and our role with One Summer Chicago is to be the financial capability provider for this program. So um, in typical years, um, it's, 30,000 youth are involved in this program. It's a massive program. And the youth uh, learn about financial capability from the very beginning. So on the application for the program, there are questions about if you need more information about getting a bank account for your paycheck, uh, to learn what direct deposit is if you've never heard of it before. Um, there's the online curriculum that I mentioned um, that the youth uh, go through as well. And then those interns from On The Money um, that are now young adults, they do live presentations for the other students, which is great. We found peer-to-peer -peer learning is very effective in this area. I know with the University of Illinois, this has been huge as well. 
um, with, I forget the exact name of the program, Andrea, but um, the uh, financial management. wellness for college students is ran out of um, University of Illinois Extension. My colleague, Kathy Sweebler oversees that program. They've also done a lot of expansion with money mentors across the state. So all the consumer educators through University of Illinois Extension are helping to train those money mentors that do individual coaching with anyone basically awesome. within the state. So it's not just the college students, but that peer-to-peer -peer program is financial wellness for college students. And my program has done peer-to-peer -peer in the past, but with COVID and lack of funding and lack of access, you know, we've focused our resources a little bit differently, especially right now. Sure, but, sure. So um, no, that's great. And we've worked with Kathy a lot on the program. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, we found peer-to-peer -peer very effective, um, especially among this like teen young adult population. Um, so we do have our youth go through a uh, financial coaching training and certification programs. So that's great for, you know, their career development to put on their resume. Um, but then they work with youth, these um, thousands of youth across the city. Um, they reached through live presentation attendance last year was over 10,000, um, even with COVID. So what we did with COVID was uh, just moved our programming to Zoom or Google Meets or uh, whatever you know platform the different agencies that we worked with were using. Um, the youth did presentations. Primarily, our main focus is, of course, on making sure the youth are ready in terms of banking, direct deposit, how to handle their timesheet, taxes, um, protect their funds in terms of you know identity protection and avoiding fraud. Um, but this year in particular, we were able to do more topics related to investing or credit and, and things like that. So the youth also um, were trained on and co-developed a number of uh, presentations on those topic areas. Um, and uh, it's it's been really well received. We've had a uh, a huge impact in terms of thousands of youth in Chicago using banking and direct deposit to receive their funds. Uh, a majority of youth um, leaving the program um, note that they are banked, note that they were able to save some of their paycheck. Um, so it's a really wonderful program and I'd encourage other um, cities throughout the state, um, towns, smaller communities. Um, if you have youth employment programs, if you have after school programs, um, think about those as well in terms of areas to incorporate financial um, capability. Um, it's really important for youth to be prepared uh, for receiving their first paycheck and to, to build those good habits of banking and saving right from the start. We know we've had many of our youth comment that they then started to teach their family more um, about how bank accounts now are different. There are certain safe and affordable products um, similar to the bank on products um, that are available for the youth and then bank on for the adults um, and really uh, provide opportunity for their whole family. So um, that's a really important program. I also wanna get, give a shout out to our um, state, uh, Department of Children and Family Services. I think Illinois, uh, we've, we've been, been trying for many years to figure out if there are any other states doing this. I think we're still the only one. We hope to roll this program to other states in the future, but every youth in care in the state of Illinois um, is, referred for a financial literacy program that they can do 
um, if they complete the program, they're then eligible for a transition fund. Um, and it's not um, a, a, a quick, brief little brush off program. It's at least eight hours of applied financial capability, uh, sort of a financial education, financial coaching hybrid. It's done in really small groups or individual um, with a uh, financial literacy instructor. And it has been hugely effective. Um, we see double digit increases every year among the averages in terms of the um, youth financial um, literacy for that program, as well as double digit increases in terms of areas like have the youth check their credit, have the youth um, made a plan for how they're going to handle their money once they're independent. Um, so this is something we found so important. Uh, our state has really uh, made a huge commitment. That department has made a huge commitment to make this a priority. Uh, and we are working now to advocate within other states uh, to do the same thing and to make it available for all youth in care um, across their state. So um, yeah. Those are some really great measures of assessment that you just kind of casually threw up like when I do a workshop on banking I don't know if they were banked when they came in or they increased their banking activities so like that is awesome and you also talked about double digit increases for financial literacy do you do a pre-test and a post-test yeah we do and and I'd encourage um it's not always possible I understand based on resources but um, for any um, longer term programs like, you know, school based programs or programs where you're meeting with youth um, over, you know, several series of time, I would really encourage this. So we do both pretests for financial literacy. What do the youth know? Um, and we encourage the instructors to not just use that, you know, to do the data and reporting and all that, you know, that they have to do, um, but to look at it and, and to then you know, customize, since this is a small group, it's more of a coaching thing. Um, customize the education. If you notice, oh, a youth, this youth has no idea. They, they said they, they said they don't know about banking and they don't have a bank account. Okay, we really need to focus on banking or, you know, if it's credit or whatever. Um, so they take both financial literacy and they also do um, financial capability, which is more like the behaviors, you know, do you have a bank account? Do you have your state ID? Um, do you create a budget? Do you set some savings aside every month? You know, different tasks like this. Um, and then we actually do an evaluation too, just to find out like, do the youth actually like this program? Because one of the things we were really nervous about at first was um, youth in care, they have a, a lot of requirements and things they have to do. And so um, we were really nervous. Oh my goodness, you know, we're asking them to do something else. Um, are they, what are the, they going to think? And they overwhelmingly for the past five years, uh, five plus years, um, they love this program. Like over 90% of the youth say um, that they are able to use this to help them towards their goal of independence, um, that they're able to, you know, learn about managing their finances and increase their skills in a number of different areas. So um, we've been thrilled with that. A lot of the youth actually say, that they were waiting for somebody to tell them how to do these things or, you know, um, 
a complaint a lot of youth have is that they're always told they need to do these things, but they're never told like specifically how, like, okay. So the adults need, don't always. I, right. <laughs> so it's like, you need to save. Okay. Well, how, like, right. do I put my money in a box or, you know, <laughs> what you need to open an account. Okay. Well, if you don't have a parent to take you to the bank and to walk you through, this is how you open that account. This is how you make a deposit. This is how you check your balance, you know, check all your transactions to make sure everything's, you know, good and secure. Um, if you don't have someone to do that, um, and a lot of youth don't, how do you know how to do those things? So that is really the focus of the program. Um, and on our website, there was an awesome article uh, review done um, by UIC, uh, just published in Child Welfare last year of the whole initiative. So definitely, um, you know, if you're interested in this area, check it out. Um, there's a link on our website. So. And I'm sure through all of the fabulous programs that you guys have, that um, there are lots of success stories as you've talked about, but do you have some that you wanna highlight at all right now? Yeah, so one that I'll highlight, especially because um, there should be, there's not already, there should be a link being, um, that we'll put it on our website too. It's on our YouTube channel, uh, Young Illinois Saves One, I think um, it is um, on YouTube. Um, but one of our youth, Josh, um, this summer is, he's just such a great example of this impact that this type of work can make. Um, so he uh, grew up in Inglewood, uh, a lower income neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Um, and he never thought about going into finance like for a career ever. Like it's just, you know, I think what, what you're exposed to has a huge impact on what you consider in terms of possibilities for your career. Um, so he had never thought about that. Um, he, through our internship program, he's um, written about personal finance. He's been published. Um, he's done all these peer presentations. He was able to take that information and then work with his own family um, to help them figure out budgeting and savings during the COVID crisis, which was something um, that was really a huge challenge for his family, like so many other families. Um, he worked on uh, an advocacy project we had around um, letting people know about the stimulus checks, as I mentioned before. He was able to help a family member to access her stimulus payment. Um, and through all of these accomplishments, he realized that this was a field he was super interested in. Um, and now he's a business major at the University of Pennsylvania. So we're super, super proud of him. So that's really great. Um, we also have many um, stories that I'll just kind of describe generally from um, the project I mentioned working with DCFS. Uh, so many youth in care um, coming from, you know, most difficult backgrounds, um, uh, have experienced trauma, have a lot to overcome, um, but they can really accomplish so much. Um, and there are some of these videos too um, on our website. Um, they uh, have set goals related to starting a 401k, um, purchasing a home or purchasing a car and been able to achieve these things um, as young adults, um, which is something a lot of, um, you know, uh, average Americans, you know, struggle with. So we've been very, very impressed uh, when given the right tools, the right coaching um, and experiences at the right time, um, youth can really achieve a lot. So yeah, but we have tons of videos actually of our youth telling their stories of their accomplishment on our website. So definitely check that out. Um, they're a lot of fun to see. So I know you've, you've dropped a lot of different links as we've been, been talking um, today, but if a school or a school district or teacher is interested 
learning or even a parent is interested in learning more about the council and maybe even partnering with you in the future, where should they go? Yeah, definitely. So our main website is always a good place, econcouncil.org. Um, and we have on all our websites, like contact us, you know, features. So you can just click on it and send us a message. Um, and um, we'll definitely get back to you about partnering or helping you find resources. Um, for a lot of the youth created work on the moneymagazine.org and otmonline.org are good resources. Um, we also have our youth banking coalition, getbankchicago.com, and then our adult banking coalition, bankonchicago.com, um, for those specific like banking resources as well are, are good things to check out. And I know you keep mentioning a lot, a lot of different programs like, like Bank On. I know that um, the Economic Awareness Council has been involved with advocacy work in the past. Uh, for example, you, you mentioned the the free checking for the unbanked and underbanked during the COVID crisis. And I know IDFPR, we worked with you guys uh, to do that during the first round of COVID stimulus checks. So what other types of advocacy work has the council done or anything that you're really concentrating on now? I know you've also talked a lot about bank on, so maybe for, we've talked about it a little bit here on the in the past as well, but if you wanna um, kind of tell us a little bit about bank on as well. Yeah, definitely. So uh, IDFPR has been awesome in working. I just want to, you know, thank you in working with us um, in the Get My Payment Illinois Coalition um, related to the stimulus checks. So thank you for that. Um, banking access is probably the main or at least one of the main areas of focus for us. It's really a starting point um, for families, you know, to be able to save, to be able to invest, to build um, assets and resources to be stable for the long term for retirement. Um, in America, you really need a uh, mainstream um, bank account, whether it's at a credit union or whether it's at uh, a bank, um, you really need that type of product. But uh, for many years, products were not designed to be easy to use um, for limited resource uh, individuals. Uh, so it's been really important um, with um, the, the new um, start of BankOn and, and uh, BankOn accounts now, they're actually officially certified. There's a whole process that the accounts have to go through to make sure um, that individuals are not going to have overdraft is really one of the primary concerns. That's really the area that we see uh, many folks getting into trouble. It's the most difficult thing to manage. Um, so you can, you know, sleep easy and know that your bank on account um, is not going to have uh, overdraft. Um, there are also requirements about if there are fees for the adult um, products, um, that those fees are um, limited and really easy to manage. It's $5 or less, or if it's $10, there have to be several different things you can do to avoid the fees. Um, and the accounts have to be functional. Like these are full real accounts. Um, it's not just like a prepaid card. This is an actual bank account, um, comes with it, you know, the full support of the financial um, institution, which we think is really important just for individuals to be able to go and to ask questions for the banker as they move on um, and are interested in, in more additional products. So um, advocating for more of those products has been a big focus for us. We've also been working with the Comptroller's Office. Um, they um, are working on uh, Bank On uh, as well um, for the state. Um, so that's something that's really exciting and there'll be more information about that coming um, in the future. Um, and 
the last area that we're really focused on, I know we've mentioned a lot here, just you know, advocating for financial education um, to be considered and, and time made for that uh, for youth in general, but specifically a focus areas for us is for youth in care. Um, you know, this we really feel like, you know, Illinois is actually this is an area we're really on top of and really proud of and uh, is going really well in our state. Um, so we want to help other states um, as well uh, because, um, you know, youth and care, um, they really need this support. They need to be pro provided with these skills um, as tools um, to be independent young adults. So if there are anybody listening from other states that are interested in this, um, we're, you know, hoping to, to spread this type of work to, to other states um, in the near future as well. So um, those are our main focus areas um, for advocacy. It sounds like you've done a lot of great work in a lot of places and hopefully other states will be able to implement some of your hard work in their own locations. Yeah, no, and I guess the only thing I didn't add in the COVID question is we do have some um, interesting like um, research points from our Youth with One Show in Chicago because we're able to get data from thousands of students. And we did find, of course, a majority um, of our youth uh, said that they're income was really important to their families this summer, um, which I think is really important just to note um, that, you know, summer jobs for youth aren't always just to buy, you know, an extra thing. Um, you, there are a lot of families that really count um, on their youth to contribute um, for certain expenses, maybe they have for school, um, or, you know, maybe during COVID it's, it's, you know, more the daily costs. So, um, because a high percentage of the youth also said their family was negatively impacted financially, um, by COVID. So, um, you know, um, we really work to transition our resources to Zoom and then to like, you know, kits for, on uh, the museum and, and for Catholic charities. But, um, I think the amount of difficulty for a lot of families, um, you know, it just definitely don't want to underestimate um, that as well. So I imagine that with the populations that you serve, even before COVID, a lot of families were, or a lot of children were contributing. I know yeah. I grew up low income and when I was a teenager, my, I had to give my pay stubs to you know, I think it was for verification for our yeah. food stamps. Right. Like my income as a 16 year old counted Mad. food yeah. stamps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I imagine that that's probably even worsened right now with the population that you focus on serving. Uh, no, absolutely. And the city was great um, about making a commitment for partly for that reason to continue summer jobs, even though, um, you know, most things had to move virtual, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's great that community stepped in and still was able to provide that. So yeah, the Economic Awareness Council being a nonprofit organization, um, if one of our listeners would like to make a donation, where should they go, Tracy? Yeah, so um, it's very simple. Um, again, our website, um, econcouncil.org, so E-C-O-N, um, then council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org. Um, and we have a button on the homepage that takes you to the giving page. Um, or, you know, you can um, navigate to that page, but um, there's a lot of information on there. Uh, it's really like just a, a couple little clicks in terms of how to do the giving, but there's also information about where um, individual gifts go and how we use those and um, stories about the impact of those gifts um, in the past. So definitely check it out. 
I would definitely encourage anybody who who is financially capable to to donate to uh, this great organization. So um, we just really want to um, thank you so much for joining us today, Tracy. Um, this is a, a topic I feel very passionate about, and I love hearing you talk about it all the time. So um, it's great, and I I know that we'll be partnering with you guys. At, in probably a variety of ways um, upcoming as well. So just thank you so much for being here. And I just yeah, wanna- Thank you for having us. This is uh, great to uh, um, talk with long-term colleagues in several different ways. We obviously get around in the state of Illinois. So. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And so we, I, our next episode for, for those that are wondering is gonna be about everyone's favorite topic, taxes. <laughs> So if you have questions or we're going to, you know, obviously we're not tax experts. So we're not going to be able to dive into, you know, what you should specifically do in each tax situation, but um, kind of give you some general um, tax terminology and help to try to help to with the upcoming tax season. So that'd be very again, basic. Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, thank you again, Tracy. Um, please make sure to share this podcast with your family and friends and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Thanks for listening.